Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. This time of year, of course, is a time of letters and cards, and we always enjoy receiving letters and messages from our listeners. And today I want to thank one of our listeners from the Bay City, Michigan area, Rick. Rick, thanks for writing to us. I appreciate very much your comments. And I have written back to you through email because your comments deserve a very extensive response. I'm going to thank you for listening and for writing to us. Rick, and have a most blessed Christmas season. Hard to believe, but we are just two Sundays, actually, before Christmas. This is the second Sunday before Christmas, and it is so, especially in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Catholic Church. And what we do in the two Sundays that precede the actual day of Christmas is we look back. But whenever we look back, we don't look back just to look back. We look back in a timeless way. In other words, what happened before us, and by this I'm referring to the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, what happened before us has a bearing on where we are now, what happened that day in Bethlehem when Christ was born, where we are now and where we are going to be and going to go. In other words, there's a continuity in the whole of our faith and salvation history and the plan of salvation, especially in the Bible. And we live that out and is brought to our attention through the liturgy of the church. This is why liturgy is so important. It brings us into that timelessness of the whole plan of salvation. In other words, what I'm saying is that what happened in the Bible is relevant to us now. It's our story. We are the people in the Bible. And so we look back, especially as we approach Christmas, we look back to what came before this event of the birth of our Lord in Bethlehem. The second Sunday before Christmas in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is also called the Sunday of the Holy Forefathers, the Patriarchs. Now, for me, and a little personal note here, this year, this particular Sunday has a little special meaning for me because it happens to land on December 11th, which is the third anniversary of the death of my father, the passing of his earthly life. 
although he's still very much with us in those who knew and loved him in our memories and our prayers. And when I look back at my own life, I automatically am drawn to those that came before me personally. In other words, my family, my father, his father, my relatives, our ancestors. And I always look back at them as to how God came through them and taught me about himself. You know, God incarnates himself. That's the whole miracle of this season, this event of Christ's nativity. God reveals himself. He could do it directly. He can just send us bolts from heaven, speak to us directly, which he does do at times. But for the most part, he speaks in an incarnational way, an incarnational way, meaning he speaks through things, through creation, through people, through events. And this is why those that came before us are significant. Regardless of what kind of family we came from, there is always something from our ancestors, from our families, something that taught us, something that formed us, ways that God spoke through our own family, our own ancestors. And this is especially true in our faith. Today is the forefathers of Christ, in other words, the great people from the Bible, especially the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We look back at their example to see how God incarnated himself through these people. And there's reasons why we do this. As I always mention here at Light of the East, as we look at the Eastern churches, the gifts of the Eastern churches, we invariably look at their histories. But It's because their histories and who they are, what the Eastern churches are, what the Bible is, is good for all times. It's good for all times. It teaches us something about what we need to know right now. And this is why liturgy and the scriptures are so relevant to us now. We look back at these people in the Bible, and we find out, first of all, as I mentioned, that God works incarnationally. Now, we see that very clearly in the Bible, which means... God will work incarnationally in our own lives. And that in turn means we should be vigilant. We should have our hearts, our minds, the the eyes of our soul always open to see where is God working? How is he working? What is he trying to say? What is he trying to do to us? And this includes the good and what we would call the bad moments in our lives, even the tragedies. Look at these figures from the Old Testament. Look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Look at what they went through. They were not always perfect people. Look at Jacob. He conspired with his mother to fool his father, Isaac, and get the birthright away from his brother Esau. Abraham was tested. Abraham had concubines. His first child was from a woman that was not his wife. We can go on and on with all the examples of these figures from the Old Testament. And we see their righteousness. We see their holiness. We see that God chose them. They were close to God, but they were sinners too. They were not perfect either. And God worked through their imperfection. In fact, we're going to see that in a very comprehensive way next Sunday when we actually read the genealogy of Christ, 14 generations. And many of the people in that genealogy kept the line, the Davidic line, the royal line, into which Christ was born, they kept that alive through, sometimes through sin, (laughs) through things that weren't really originally part of the plan. But God worked through that plan. God incarnated himself even through things that were not supposed to be part of the plan, things that were not right or sinful even. So we look back to see how God works. 
through everybody and everything. And therefore, it means we should be vigilant about how he works in our life. So already we're looking at something through the liturgy. Through the liturgy, we're looking at something in the Bible, what happened thousands of years ago, right? It happened thousands of years ago. But we're looking at it, and already we should be making a connection to our own life. Reading the Old Testament, which we should be doing, especially now as we approach Christmas, reading it and celebrating it through the liturgy should tell us that we need to be more vigilant in our own lives. The second thing that we learn by looking back is how in the whole of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, it was all a foretelling of Christ. Isn't it amazing how God worked out this plan through so many people, through so many events, over so many years and centuries? I mean, he could have done it in a flash if he wanted to. He could have saved us. He could have turned everything around immediately. He could have done it to Adam and Eve the moment they sinned. He could have turned it all around. I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He's all-powerful. But for whatever reason, he allowed things to unfold over a very long time with many incredible events and stories with many, many people. And in the Old Testament, the person of Christ for which everything was done, it was done for the coming of Christ, and his mother are all prefigured. They're all foreshadowed. And we sing about that. We pray about that in the liturgy of the church. Let me give you an example. At the evening prayers for this weekend, this Sunday of the Holy Forefathers, the patriarchs, we pray certain prayers like this. The three holy youths were refreshed by the Holy Spirit when they walked in the fire as though in a cool place. In them, the Trinity and the Incarnation of Christ were prefigured in a mystical manner. By their wisdom and faith, they overcame the power of fire. As for the just Daniel, he stopped the mouths of lions. Through their intercession, we beseech you, O Savior and lover of mankind, protect us from eternal fire and make us worthy of your heavenly kingdom. Now you see how things in the Old Testament prefigured Christ and his mother. But now they become a warning to us, as we said right here in the last lines of this prayer, through their intercession, we beseech you, O Savior and mankind, protect us from, did you catch that? Eternal fire. Notice how we make that connection? The youth are in the fire. So now we bring it to ourselves. We make it relevant to ourselves, to our own salvation. And the good kind of fear we should have of losing that salvation, of going into eternal fire, the fires of hell. You know, a lot of times I don't think we necessarily believe that that exists, that that's an option, but it is. And so we pray, we reach back into the Old Testament, see a figure of fire, which becomes a prefigurement for Christ's suffering and resurrection, and we apply that to ourselves in a very clever way through the liturgy. Save us, protect us from eternal fire, make us worthy of your heavenly kingdom. Then there's also this verse. Today we commemorate the ancestors of Christ. Sing with fervor a hymn of praise to Christ the Savior, who exalted them among all nations. He is the Lord who does wondrous deeds. And because he is powerful and mighty, from them he brought forth a royal scepter, the immaculate maiden of God and Virgin Mary. From her Christ, our God, came forth to give life and eternal salvation for all. So there we make that connection of the whole plan of salvation, the connection with the ancestors of Christ in the Old Testament with his blessed mother, who would come along later, but she was prefigured in things like the burning bush, the Ark of the Covenant. Whenever you see two things, largely two things in the Old Testament, 
that have to do with, one, something that happens but doesn't cause something else to happen. In other words, something that doesn't go exactly according to nature, such as a bush on fire should be consumed. It should be burned up. Well, there was fire. The bush was on fire, but the part that transcends the normal principles of nature would be the fact that the bush was not consumed. So the fathers of the church see in this a prefigurement of the Blessed Mother, that what was in her was the fire of God, the presence of God whom no one could even gaze upon without being consumed. And yet she was unconsumed, although she had God within her. So there is the prefigurement of the Virgin Mary in the burning bush, a bush that was not consumed. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the relevancy of looking back. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. When did St. Nicholas begin delivering gifts on Christmas Eve? Well, sadly, by the end of the 18th century and the first part of the 19th century, people more and more forgot why we celebrate Christmas. So one day some folks invited me to deliver gifts on Christmas Eve instead of St. Nicholas Eve in early December. You can imagine my joy, the birthday of Jesus, what an honor! But it was then that they took away my bishop's vestments and dressed me like an elf. Talk about an extreme makeover! That's why on Christmas Eve of 1822, Dr. Clement Moore wrote down what he saw. He said he saw a little old driver so lively and quick I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Why, you ask, did he have doubts in his mind whether it was St. Nicholas or not? Well, he knew I was a bishop. He was shocked to see me dressed like an elf. But no matter how I'm dressed, my spirit is still the same. I'm filled with the joy that flows from the Christmas proclamation, Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. I certainly hope you're getting into the so-called Christmas spirit, but by that I mean something quite different. I mean, the real spirit of Christmas. And by spirit, I don't just mean an ethereal, nebulous feeling. The spirit, maybe I would actually spell that with a capital S, getting into, yes, the spirit, the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has worked all through salvation history. And we're looking back at that into the Old Testament on the second Sunday before Christmas. Looking back so as to be relevant today. As I mentioned, the Bible presents to us figures that show the incarnational action of God, how he was present and worked through all people, all times, all events, and also the prefigurement of Christ in the Old Testament through the events and the people of the Old Testament, and the prefigurement of the Virgin Mary. Well, 
we also have another reason why we look back. We look back for something which I think is very relevant today, something that's really missing today. We look back to honor, to, to pay respect, to realize our place before those that came before us. In other words, a deep respect for those who came before us. In our world today, we're missing, I believe, we've, we're missing and we've been missing for quite some time. It's like a constant erosion, it seems to me. We're missing a sense of deferring to things that are greater than we are, to people greater than we are, to those that came before us and realizing that because they came before us and because of how God worked through them, we are inheritors of what they passed down to us. In other words, we owe them. We should defer to them. In the liturgy of the church, and this is another reason why the church is so essential to our development as a person, why it's so relevant to the world, because in the church, especially in their liturgy, as the liturgy preserves the scriptures, the church preserves for us those things that get lost outside of the church in the world. The church has a very strong sense of this hierarchy of things that are greater than other things and how we defer to those things greater than we are. So when we look back at the Old Testament, we're looking back at the people that came before us, and it is from them, through them, and it took a long time, a lot of people, that we are the privileged inheritors of this faith and of the church and of authority, of hierarchy, of those that taught us, that laid the foundations, like the holy hierarchs that we talk about, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, Moses, Noah, David, Solomon, Samuel, the three years in the furnace that we've read about earlier. All these people came before us, and so we honor them. Without them, without God working through them, without who they were, we would not have our faith. And there is a great deal of humility that we need to have when we realize the greatness of what we've been given and the greatness of the people through whom we were given this faith. There are things that are greater than we are. One of the most valuable lessons that we can learn in life and practice is this kind of deference, this sense of the order of things, where we stand in that order, who we defer to, who we bow to, who we acknowledge, who we honor, who we thank, who we're indebted to. So much of this is being lost today. I remember when I was a child, especially at this time of year, when people would visit our homes and visit one another during the Christmas season. It was always such a beautiful aspect of the Christmas season, was visiting friends and relatives and people stopping by, giving gifts, giving greetings. And I remember with the relatives that would stop by, I remember the way I was taught as a child. And I was kind of shy. So a relative would come in the home, especially Christmas time, greet my parents. And I'd be a little bit shy. I would almost sometimes even kind of hide or kind of stay around the corner. If I was there in the chair or in the living room or something, I would be kind of quiet. And I remember my parents taught me. They would tell me and say it right in front of this guest. Now, Tom, stand up and greet so-and-so. And they taught me how to greet in three languages, in Hungarian, in Slavonic, or Poruski, the Slavic language that we grew up with, and also in English. 
Because at that time, when I was a young child, a lot of people that we knew, our circle of friends and relatives, English wasn't their first language. <laughs> so, so out of respect for them, I mean, they knew English, but it wasn't their first language. And out of respect for them, we would greet them in the language that they knew, their first language. And in that, my case, it was Hungarian or the Slavic languages. But I remember I would have to stand up and greet them. And my parents taught me that, and they held me to it. And I was a little scared, a little shy, but I still did it. Felt a little bit awkward, self-conscious, but I still did it. One of the things that taught me was there are people and things greater than you. And no matter how you feel about it, no matter what you think about it, no matter if you're shy or bold or whatever, you acknowledge those people in the right way. You defer to them who are greater than you, who came before you. I see very little of that today. It seems to be vanishing. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to know our place in the great scheme of things, the great order of things. And one of the ways that that is taught, one of the places that is still preserved, is in the church, in the liturgy of the church. We speak in terms of hierarchy. There are places, especially in the Eastern churches and the design of the Byzantine church, where not everybody can go, not just anyone can go. Only those authorized can go beyond the icon screen into the sanctuary. Only the priest, the authorized person, can open that tabernacle and take out the Eucharist. Only the servers can go beyond the veil, the icon screen, with the priest. Only the deacon, the ordained ministers, those people designated who wear certain things that speak of their ministry, of their place in the church. Only certain people can lead the praises, the cantors. Only certain people can read the readings. There is definitely a hierarchy in the liturgy of the church. And it's not just for the four walls of the church. It doesn't end there. It should be taken beyond the church into our homes, as I was taught as a child. It should be taken into our schools, into the public sphere, into government, into the world. This sense of of hierarchy, because that is reality. In fact, in the liturgy, in the Byzantine liturgy, we actually name off this hierarchy during one of the prayers that would be known in the Latin rite as the Eucharistic prayer. For us, it's the anaphora in the Eastern churches. We talk about the patriarchs and the martyrs and the ascetics and the venerable people and the confessors. We actually name them off in that hierarchy. They're also named during the rite of preparation of the gifts, the bread and the wine and the water, that occurs prior to liturgy on a separate table in the sanctuary done by the priest and deacon. Again, there is a hierarchy that is mentioned very specifically. And so, in the liturgy itself is preserved this sense of hierarchy. Above all, it's the hierarchy between God, Almighty God, and ourselves. What our place is before this wonderful, awesome God and our place is always one that ought to be of gratitude and repentance, our profound unworthiness. Now, these things aren't very popular today, but they're actually very healthy. They are reality. As we prepare through the liturgy of the church, the scriptures, the people we feature, especially on these Sundays before Christmas, I also want to urge you very urgently urge you <laughs> to do a preparation for yourself, a personal preparation. And that would be to make sure you get to confession. Confession is a way of getting our house in order. 
I'm sure doing a lot of things to get your home in order, from shopping to cleaning to baking or cooking. People always say they're so busy, so busy, busy this time of year. Yes, it's true. They're preparing a lot of things, preparing for a lot of things and for a lot of people. But the most important preparation has to be the preparation of our self, our soul, our personhood to receive the incarnation to receive the coming of our Lord in the flesh. Because remember, as we enter into this feast, we're entering into its reality. Christ is coming to us, among us, within us, as though it's the first time. We are the shepherds, the wise men in Bethlehem. And so we have to make ourselves ready, make the manger of our souls ready and worthy to receive Christ in this very special way. So go to the sacrament of confession be renewed. This is part of what we do during this Philip's fast or this Advent season. Remember, this is penitential. And the most important, one of the most important things you can do is to go to confession. Confession renews our relationship with God and with the church and with one another, with the world. It renews every part of the relationships that were broken from the sin of Adam and Eve that we inherit. So go to confession. Make an appointment with the priest or there's times in your parish Make sure you go, and go often. Now, I'm not saying you have to be neurotic about it, but go often. Renew yourself through this wonderful sacrament. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. More to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. The church has 2,000 years of wisdom to share on what it takes to live life gracefully. We're so overwhelmed by how much our faith has transformed our marriage and family especially. We want everyone to experience the incredible gift that the Catholic vision of life and love really is. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.